right between the game and life. I have a, a special guest on today. I have Coach Steve Smith from Oak Hill Academy. Um, Coach Smith, uh, thank you for being on with me today, sir. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Coach Smith, your um, reputation and resume precedes you, but I kind of wanted to start off deep. Um, any any person that's been successful for a very long time, um, they want to be known for more than what they, you know, were 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 um, successful at. So I wanted to know what do you want to be known for, and who is um, Steve Smith? Yeah, I'm a obviously a basketball coach, or I was. I've retired recently, but. I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known for being a, a good father, uh, a good grandfather, um, good husband, uh, a guy that coached with integrity and uh, was a was a guy with a lot of faith and uh, integrity in what he did. Gotcha. I love that. Um, so my one of my goals for the this conversation today is not necessarily to talk about any you know players. I'm I'm sure you get that a lot, but I just wanted to talk about yeah. you, your love for the game, and you know the goal of my podcast is to is to talk about how basketball and life and sports intersect and the life lessons that we get from this um from this game. So right. I wanted to I wanted to hear about your earliest experiences with um, basketball. Yeah. Uh, I got I got my interest in basketball and basically all sports from my dad. Uh, he was a coach. He was a pastor and a coach and a college professor in his 20s. And uh, well, he just passed away. He's 93. But uh, so that tells you how long ago that was. But I, I really got uh, hooked on basketball by going to his games and going to his practices. This would be back in early 1960s and mm -hmm. uh he coached at Malone College at the time then he went to Taylor University uh LA Pacific out in California and then he finished coaching at Asbury so I I started at a young age I was his water boy towel boy <laughs> um I kept stats at a very young age stats are important to me and uh got that from him he always hand did his stats by hand I did my stats believe it or not by hand until maybe 10 years ago. Wow. <laughs> well, after, well, after the internet came into, <laughs> into being. So right. I, and I use the stat sheet that he used because that's what I learned on. And so I did everything by hand and even I'd go by game by game and add them up after each game and do a seasonal stat sheet. And so I, I just, you know, I, I basically got interested in basketball more than any other sport uh, from, from following my dad around and, uh, going to games with him. Yeah, and I know you have a twin brother, Stu. Um, yeah. St Stu is very um, close and dear to me, but where was he during those times? Was he there he too? Was, he was there. Uh, I don't know. He's much. He was pretty much of a fanatic like I was as far as sports goes, but maybe not quite as much. Uh, you know, he didn't want to be a coach, and you know, I wanted to be a coach because I thought that was my calling. I also felt like my dad led me to that calling, so – he didn't do that. You know, he went on to seminary uh, after he got out of Asbury. And then, uh, you know, he still pastors the church, but uh, works at the university and now at Asbury and uh, in other other places. He did coach at Asbury. That's the only place he ever coached. He yeah. coached with my dad. He's my dad's assistant coach. Gotcha. Back in the – trying to think when, 
Whenever they started intercollegiate basketball, do you know what year that was? I do not, but I was going to ask you if you knew. <laughs> I was going to I, I was going to ask you about the history of um yeah, you know the I class my, ball. I and thought stuff. my dad retired in the early nineties, so it would have been in the eighties. Gotcha. So and he was the first coach, and he coached for maybe I don't want to be wrong there, but I thought it was seven or eight years, and then he retired. Of course, he fought for intercollegiate basketball from the day he got back to Asbury as a professor and a coach. He he came back in 64 mm -hmm. and was pushing for basketball that far back. And administration really didn't want it for some reason. And uh, he, had, he started a tournament. He and Cecil's wife started a tournament in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. And it basically was a two-game season. And they did that for two or three years. And then that, that dropped off. I think my dad thought they were going to have intercollegiate basketball. And he kept pushing and pushing. It wasn't until the end of the 80s. And it was mid-80s probably uh, until they started having intercollegiate basketball. Yeah. What was your experience like at Asbury? Um, I attended Asbury as well. Asbury is special to me. I know it's special to you. But what was what was basketball like for you? I was, I was doing some reading, and there was like um, – uh class ball and such yeah and so i played class ball which was freshman sophomore junior senior all had a team and you played each other three times and it was a nine game season and it was in the second semester it started in january so you played like nine straight weeks you played one game and then you had a couple practices each week and there's no term at the end or anything whoever had the best record was class champs and uh my class were the Vikings with class of 77 mm -hmm. and it was, uh, it was fun. And we had some really good players. We would have had a very good team. Stuart can tell you too. When I was there, there was a lot of good players and, uh, we would have been very competitive in the area, you know, with schools like Trancy and center and all those schools that are close by Campbellsville union. Uh, but we didn't get to do that. We did have a team. We, we got a team together and played and we took the best players from Asbury and we went around and played some at the prisons we, in Lexington, Blackburn prison, I think it was called. We played in a league in Lexington, which was a pretty good league. And so we played that way, but we didn't get to play intercollegiate basketball. Gotcha. So, so it almost sounds like, cause it was, um, when I was at Asbury, we played a few uh, prison games. So sounds yeah. like that's, Sounds like that started back when you were playing. That's uh, I started back at I started back in the seventies. <laughs> wow, wow, and that's a real sports ministry right there. It is, no question. Yeah, so that's fun. Um, talk to so you said your dad had an influence on coaching. Was there was there um, any other coach that had a um, um, that did you have any other coach that kind of pushed you into coaching as well outside of your father? Um. Uh, just my advisor, you know, the professors at Asbury, Dr. Harper, Ron Harper was one of my professors. Um, Sid, Dr. Sid Campbell, I don't know if you know him, but he was my actual advisor and he coached basketball at several different colleges mm. and he ended up at Asbury. And then he left Asbury my junior year. He actually played for him my freshman and sophomore years in class ball. And he went to Roberts Weston as the head coach. He wanted me to go with him to play. Yeah. And by, you know, I was, I was in, been in Wilmore for 15 years and 
Wilmore was my home and Asbury was my school and my dad was, you know, taught there and my twin brother went there. So I didn't want to go, but, you know, he was trying to tell me how he thought I should play basketball in college at a higher level. And probably, I mean, I could have, but I just felt comfortable at Asbury. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> so after Asbury, I know you got another degree at another institution. And then after that, was yeah. it, so was it after you left, um, what was it? Um, EKU that you got the next Yeah, I went degree? to EKU um, and got my master's degree. And so did you go from EKU to Oak Hill? I went to um, University Heights Academy in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, mm -hmm. just for a year. Taught down there and coached a little and then uh, coached soccer and some other sports. But um, I came back. I left after a year. Um, I came back to Lexington. I worked at second national bank which is they still have the bank but it's, i don't know what it's called now it's different and my wife worked in that same air in that same building um so we worked there for two years till 83 and then in 1983 i i got the bug and i said i got a coach and uh <laughs> i gotta get back into it and i want to teach and coach and because that's what i trained you know that's what i did at asbury i got a teacher certification and and took a lot of the coaching classes I could take. Right. And then, so in 83, one of my, he wasn't my roommate, but he's, he roomed next to me in Johnson West, Larry Davis. He was the, he got the head job at Asbury mm -hmm. and he called me and he didn't get it till August, called me and asked me to come join him as, a, as his assistant. And uh, so I did that. That's how I got to uh, Oak Hill. And I did that for two years before taking over. He left in 85 to go to uh university of Delaware to be an assistant coach. Gotcha. And so I'm, I'm fascinated to learn about Oak Hill because anyone that's played, you know, high school, college professional, they've heard of Oak Hill Academy, but I don't think a lot of people know how Oak Hill got to where it was. So yeah. what was, what was the program like before you had got there? They were good. They weren't as good. I don't know if that's proper, <laughs> but they started, they had basketball since, you know, 1940s, and uh, but they just played local teams, the local uh, public schools in our area, and they're not. That's not very good basketball. It's single A, mm -hmm. um, and it's bad single A. So, uh, in 1976, uh, Doctor Eisner, Robert Eisner, was the president of Oak Hill. His son Chuck was the coach, and uh, they had a meeting, and one they thought sports would help with enrollment mm -hmm. at the school and they were trying to figure out how to do it you know inexpensively and they talked about football which is it costs a lot to have a football program right. they ended up talking about basketball and they decided to upgrade the basketball program we're not on the east coast but um we're in virginia which is we're about five and a half hours from dc right. they thought they could attract because we had other students we're a boarding school we had students from, you know, the D.C., Baltimore, New York, up and down the eastern seaboard. So they thought they could attract basketball players. And back then, those areas were hotbeds for, um, you know, the better players in the country. And so he jumped in a van, literally, and went to uh, D.C. and Richmond, Virginia area had good players. And he actually, what he told me was he came back with four or five players in the van <laughs> and, you know, enrolled them in school. And so they had about three division one players that year. 
when they had none before. Wow. And uh, so it started in the mid seventies and then we had our first uh, all American in 1980. His name was Glenn Mayer. He went to Wake Forest. He was a McDonald's all American. Uh, and then they, they kind of had a lull for a couple of years. They changed coaches like three or four times in a three year period. And uh, then Larry came down, Larry Davis, uh, in 83, and I came with him. And uh, we did the same thing. We drove to New York, went out to the, watch all these games on the outdoor courts, talked to coaches and parents up there, uh, D.C. and Baltimore area, did the same thing. We didn't bring anybody back in a van with us. But <laughs> we, uh, we had to recruit a little bit and to get it going at a higher level. And we had – I think we had on the 83 team, four or five kids that went division one, mm -hmm. um, 84. We had, I think our whole starting five was division one. They weren't high majors. They were, I think we had kids. I remember in 80, my first year here, we had a kid going to Miami, Ohio, um, Richmond, VCU, those kind mm -hmm. of schools. And back then those weren't the top tier schools. Um, but we did have Rod Strickland in 84. And he kind of – he was a parade All-American. He didn't make McDonald's. And uh, he kind of got it going because he had a big name. This is before the internet and all that. Right. And then in 85, I took over. And my, I got lucky my first two years. I uh, had uh, an All-American both years, two McDonald's All-Americans in 85 and 86. My first two years, we went 50-2. and two. And, uh, you know, kind of the rest is history. Yeah, so Rod Strickland was kind of like the was kind of like the guy that started that yeah. started off the the thing. Yeah, because that was that was one of my questions of who was like the first player to kind of. And he was from New York, him. and everybody knew him in New York. And when he came, that kind of opened the floodgates. Uh, we started getting a lot of kids from New York City that were back then. New York City was had the most players of any city in the country, any metropolitan area. They don't anymore. It's, it's strange as big as the city is. But if you could get a kid from New York City, even a lower tiered guy, he, he was probably a, a D1 player. Yeah. So um, we attracted a lot of kids from that area after Rod was here. What do you think was some of the main driving factors to attract kids to you all? Because was it like, was it that the fact that you were putting that the program was putting guys in college? Was it the playing style? What do you think it was that attracted Oak Hill once Rod Strickland started? To Actually, like it's changed through the years, but initially back in that time, uh, you had the uh, Prop 48 was in where you had to make a 2.0 and then you had to have a test score. And a lot of those inner city uh, players didn't have test scores or were worried about it or their grades were low. So we got a lot of kids because it's a very good school here and we can tour them and give them support and SAT prep and all that. We got most of our kids because of that. They wanted to make sure they got to college. They want to make sure they were qualified. Uh, it's changed, obviously. We don't get anybody like that anymore. Most of our kids are really good students, but back then that kind of got it started. And uh, especially kids from the city environment, they, they struggle to get to school on time. They struggle to get to school, period, some of them. Yeah. And uh, so we attracted a lot of kids from D.C., Baltimore, New York City, and, uh, you know, Oak Hill's a Southern Baptist school. It's not – it's a good academic school. Um, 
we teach Bible classes here. They go to Sunday school. So it's it does a lot more for them than most public schools in the city would do. Right. Wow. So I would never – I didn't know that, that Oak Hill at first was, was a way for kids to kind of develop yep. on a academic standpoint, and then the athletics started to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Once we got like in the 90s, early 90s, then we were getting – that wasn't the reason they were coming. They were coming for the basketball, uh, developing, making sure they were ready to play as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back then we had a strength program. Most, even in the early 90s, most schools didn't in high school. Right. They didn't. Conditioning wasn't a, we had a conditioning program. We ran our program like a college program. And so that attracted uh, the students, student athletes to, to Oak Hill after the first four or five years. Yeah. And that was one of my other questions is, you know, once a player commits to coming to Oak Hill, one thing that I'm fascinated with with this podcast is player development. Um, When I was a player, I used to be obsessed at how did the top players get to where they were? Like, what did they do? What was their, you know, workouts, drills? What did they eat? What was their um, conditioning like? So for you guys, what did player development look like once a kid got there? Yeah, we did. And even back then, too, they don't, it's not like it was now. Most kids just played AAU, uh, didn't really work out. Yeah. And some did, but not that many. I mean, I remember when I would bring kids in here, and sometimes I'd bring them in for summer school before they start to fall. They'd never done a workout. We'd do a workout, and they'd be like, yo, we got to do this again, Coach? I'm like, every day? <laughs> We're going to do this every day. Yeah. Summertime, it's the time to get better. And they weren't used to that. So we did a lot of skill work. Uh, I emphasize a lot of shooting with my players. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing plyometrics 20 years ago. We were doing speed and agility stuff back in the, you know, in the 80s. So yeah. um, we just tried to, you know, do things with our players that we thought most – and I'd go to colleges and watch practices and workouts. And in the summer, I'd sit down with coaches and so forth. And uh, so I, I kind of got a good read on – what they did is, you know, we tried to run our program like a college program, like I mentioned, and uh, as far as conditioning in, in the fall and uh, skill work in the fall, we do skill work all year long, even right. during the season, 630 in the mornings. And uh, so and we don't do it every morning during the season, but preseason, we're doing 630 workouts every Monday through Friday. And uh, so we try to emphasize you know, them developing as a player because they like that's what they want. Right. You know, players want to, you know, we're also building a team as we do it. But uh, we did that in, in our practices in the evenings and after school, we would practice with the team. But we spent a lot of time on skill work and that attracted players, too, because they weren't getting that at the school they were at. Most of them. Yeah. And I just thought of this question as well. So some of the players that I've spoken with on on my um podcast they talked about when they were growing up they didn't do a lot of skill work it was like you said AU playing in the park um and then some so sometimes they they got a natural feel for the game by playing against um older players yeah and then then the skill work came along later now I feel like these these players nowadays they do the skill work and don't really play as much pickup and stuff like that do you feel like that like that transition is maybe um, cause some kids not to have the natural feel for the game? Yes, I do. Because I, I try to get them to play as much as they can, too, whether it's five on five, four on four, whatever. Um, we even do that in the fall, so we play pickup. You know, 
once we get in the, you know, three, four weeks into practice and we don't do that much, but um, I try to tell them play as much pickup as you can. Like the AAU is big now and they're going against the best players in the country. And these guys all know each other. And that's really good for them too. Cause a lot of kids, I've had some kids just all they do is work on skill and then they get in the game and you can tell a kid, you have no feel for the game. You know, (laughs) you don't know how to play. And, but you got all the moves and all the, you know, (laughs) I said, when do you run through a cone in a, in a, in a game, you know, yeah, some of the stuff you're working on doesn't, you know, doesn't um, mix with playing in a game. So I, I want to do that too, as much with them as we do a lot of three on three work um in the fall too just i think that's important you know you play three on three you read people how they play you get to know your teammates uh, you kind of learn how to play when you play three on three instead of just five on five but that's just important to me is the skill work but the kids really want skill work their parents want them to have skill work they see these guys on they'll see seth curry and whoever, you know, working out and they feel like, oh, we got to do what they're doing, which is true. Yeah. You were mentioning the uh, three on three. One of the best drills that I used to do in high school where we would play three on three, but you could only use half of the court. So you couldn't like if you start on the right side, you have a postman, a guy up top and a guy on the wing and you play yeah. three and you play three on three out of that uh, triangle formation. And it was tough. Like you really had to be, you know, yeah, got got to you all. Got to use all your picks, pitches, screens, etc. Yeah, yeah. We would give our guys rules, you know, like one pass. I mean, one dribble, no dribble. Yeah, that make that makes it tough. We yeah. and sometimes we do three on three on three full court. Mm-hmm. And uh, we work on, you know, we start out with whatever side ball screen or flat screen or whatever, you know, trying to work on uh, screen situations and really working more on defense and offense. And then we just let them play three on three half court. We gave them some rules and uh, we weren't emphasizing offense or defense. We were just watching them play. And, you know, then we would talk to them after they played. With that, when did you get feedback from college coaches once the kids that played for you got on campus that um, that your players were more um, advanced when they got to college? Did you ever get that feedback? Yeah. Quite a bit. I'd have several. I've had several tell me, we like your kids. We like recruiting your kids and getting your kids. Um, They're like sophomores, not freshmen. And physically, they're ready to play. And they know how to play within a team system. And, you know, that's one. Probably what we do in the weight room with them is about 50% of what college coaches like because they're ready to play. And, some kids go in there and they may have the skill level, but they're, you know, buck 80 and six, seven, and they're not, they're not ready to play at that level because it's totally different. Right. And so we get our guys ready to play. And that's what I tell them too. I said, we're trying to get you ready. So you go in as a freshman and you play right away and you don't get frustrated and you don't transfer, <laughs> you know, you don't, you know, you don't play your best because you're not starting or whatever. So, <clears throat> You know, we just try to get them ready to go as freshmen. And I think your players were probably ready to go as well because they had already been in a college environment. And what I mean by that is they're away from home. Yeah. They have a they have a set, you know, academic schedule, athletic schedule. Yep. And so even those off the court factors probably factor in your players being ready as well. 
Yeah, that helps them a lot because they're, you know, if they have self-discipline good, they don't, we give them the discipline they need. They've got to be, they've got a set schedule every day and they know they've got to get their rest at night too, because it's, it's demanding. And uh, it's not like a public school where you, you know, three o'clock to five o'clock you practice and that's it. You know, we practicing in the mornings, they got to get to bed. Um, they won't get through practice in the afternoon if they don't get their rest too. So uh, it's important. They understand all that. And, uh, you know, we talk about that at the first team meeting. Right. When did it click to you that you were building something special at, um, at the school? Uh, I think probably after the sec, my second year when we, we were really good my first year. Cause we, we had a kid named Chris Brooks from New York. That was a McDonald's all American. He went to West Virginia. And so we did, we had a great year. And this is the first time Oak Hill was ever, nationally rated we were in the top five in usa today that used to be the big deal usa today if you can make those rankings and then we did it again the second year um we had identical 25 and one uh records both years we were top five both years i think we were two or three the second year so once we did it a couple times in a row i thought well we can build on this and then we went undefeated in 1990 um one of my better teams, 92, 93, 94, right in a row, 95. We had teams that were one or two in the country. So we just kind of got it going after those first couple of years. I want to ask you this as well. Um, you mentioned about how you didn't go play for that other guy when you're in college, you know, because you love yeah. Will Moore. Will Moore was home. Yeah. Um, what what has kept what what kept you at Oak Hill? Because I'm sure, you know, you could have easily gone somewhere else and coached you know, any other place, but what, what, what kept you at Oak Hill all those years? Yeah. I, and when I took the job, I was figured four or five years and I'd be like Larry Davis. I'd be out of here going somewhere as an assistant. And actually in, let me see my third year, 87, 88. Um, I was with my family in Hilton Head, South Carolina. We were on vacation in the summer and Telby Smith calls me. And at mm -hmm. the time, Telby, was assistant at VCU. He had been there for probably 10 years and he was leaving to go to South Carolina as an assistant. And, you know, he asked me, do you want the job? Mike Polio was the coach. I don't know if you remember him. He coached at Eastern Kentucky university, mm -hmm. uh, head coach before he went to VCU. So I knew him and Toby basically told me what the salary was. He said, it's a set scale. This was back in 80, a little bit of the summer of 88 and he paid 32,000, which was not bad, but you know, I, I was close to that at Oak Hill. Right. And um, I'd heard rumblings that coach polio was on the hot seat. So, and I had two kids, my, um, my daughter would have been six and my son was five. So I, I did go up there. I left left and went up there on a private plane. Well, left my family in Hilton Head, came back on vacation. Uh, next day I called the coach and told, I told Tubby, I said, coach, he's got how much left on his contract? He said, two years. I said, you think he's going to make it? He said, cause I'm not one of those guys who wants to just bounce around. And right. uh, he said, Oh, he, he's good coach. He's good. And I said, okay, you sure? Yeah. But I ended up turning it down and uh, long story short, he was fired in December. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would have been up there four months and 
the head coach would have got fired. Now, what yeah. would have happened? You don't know. Right. You know, I was the last assistant hire, so I don't think I would have been the interim coach. So I'd probably been looking for a job one year later. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Yeah. And then in ni- 1990, uh, I had had three players go to Pitt. And back then, Pitt was one of the best teams in the Big East. Mm-hmm. It was Pitt, Georgetown, um, Syracuse. And those were the better teams in the Big East. They actually won two big, big uh, eight tight, mid, Big East titles in about, I think, a three or four year stretch. Mm-hmm. And they just won the Big East. And so Paul Evans was a coach. I went up there and interviewed. He offered me the job. And uh, I thought I was going to take it. But his last question to me, what, what, and I'd met with him and probably been interviewed for two hours. His very last question, he said, Now, coach, I got one more thing. I go, Yeah. He says, uh, You'll do what you got to do to get a player, right? Oh, <laughs> and I knew yeah. what he, I looked at him. He looked at me, and I knew what he meant. Yeah. And uh, I said, Coach, if you're if you're uh, insinuating what I think you are, no. And I left. Yeah, it's funny because a year later, he called and wanted me to take the job again. But uh, I think he thought because of all the players I was getting from the East Coast, I could get all those kids to go to Pitt. Right. And he didn't care, you know, how it happened, but I did. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's a little different at that level. Um, I wasn't willing to do what he wanted me to do, and I didn't take that job. Then I was offered a job at Oregon. Uh, I almost left to go to Louisville because I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> and I had a lot of opportunities, you know, in my first 10, 12 years here because I was young. Right. And, they saw me as, oh, this guy can recruit like crazy and blah, 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 whatever. And uh, But I recruited because it was easy to recruit to Oak Hill. And we had we had something to offer. And, you know, you get to college, you got 300 schools. Right. That, you know, and you got 150 top schools that are, you know, basically the same. So it's a little different. And uh, I went to Louisville in 97, I think. And uh, so I would have been 42. My daughter was going to be a senior. My son was going to be a, a rising junior. So, and I looked at houses and so forth. I was going to take the job. Danny Crum was the coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I still had apprehension about doing it. And uh, so I called my wife and we talked it over. And when I got home, she said, you need to go talk to your daughter. And I go, wow. She, she goes, she heard me on the phone with you. And I didn't tell my daughter and son, you know, at the time what, you know, what I was doing while well, I was out of town for, you know, 48 hours or whatever. Yeah. Cause I didn't know, I, I didn't think I was going to take it. I went down there thinking I wasn't going to take it. And then when, you know, you're at a place like that, it's big time basketball and, you know, you get your head spinning a little bit and you think, well, maybe. So I came home, talked to my wife, prayed about it. And my daughter was going to be a senior. She's like, didn't want me missing out on all her activities as a senior. Yeah. And I told her, I said, well, you, you know, we had, Louis was going to pay for an apartment for them to stay here her senior year. Wow. Um, and then my son goes, well, so we leave. Then I was told him I would bring him down the next year. And then my son was going to be a senior. He yeah. said the same thing. And uh, I put my family first and uh, didn't take the job and never looked back. At that point, I told him, I said, I'm not going to interview anymore. I'm not talking to coaches about jobs. I'm done with it. And uh, I'm so glad I didn't go to that level because it's gone now it's just until nil uh which kind of made it 
you know, helping these kids out financially legal. They were all doing it illegally for years. Yeah. I mean, it, almost everybody. And uh, you'd be surprised. And uh, I wasn't going to do that, obviously. And so, you know, I, I was better off being a high school coach. I think that was, I think that was, that was down my alley and what I wanted to do. And I could help kids and you have more relationship with kids in high school than you would in college. I mean, I lived on the campus with them for 21 years. Yeah. They hung out at my house and uh, you don't have that kind of relationship in college. Right. And I was going to ask you, you know, what, what is special about high school basketball? And I think you, I think you hit on that. And I was yeah. thinking about even like when I was in high school, you know, I, I come in as a 14 year old um, and leave as like, leave as a young man almost, you know, with, a, yeah. with, a, with a ton more experience. Is there anything else as to why you think high school basketball is special to you? I just think, you know, the time you get to spend with your players on and off the court. And uh, like I said, for 21 years, I lived on campus before I built a house off campus, but yeah. I mean that, I was with them all the time, Saturdays, Sundays. You go to church with them, take the team bowling, take the team to college football games because we're in the area where you can get to Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and Duke, Carolina, places like that are not far from us, Virginia. And we we take them to football games probably twice a year, twice a year in the fall. We take our whole team to a football game. And uh, just spending time with them like that, uh, taking them out to dinner, eating with them in the cafeteria. Um, you know, you don't do that in college and, right. uh, you're around your players in practice and that's about it. Um, so that, I think that part of it was important to me. And I, just, I just, and I lived on campus here. Like I said, it's a boarding school. I love that environment. Yeah. I wouldn't have moved off, but, uh, my wife, you know, we never owned a house and I was 48 years old. And I just wanted to build some equity and I'm glad I did now because the house is paid for and worth four times what I paid for it. And, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just, I like to have a relationship with my guys and you could do that in high school much better than at the college level. Yeah. I love that. Another basketball question. Um, what is it that separates players? Um, you've seen a lot of great players, but I think what's um, unique about you is that you also coached against a lot of, you know, great mm -hmm. players as well. So, you know, the, the first example in my mind is, you know, you have Carmelo Anthony on your team. Well, you're also coaching against LeBron James. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what is it that separates players, whether it's players that you've coached or players you've coached against? Yeah, no, those two guys are good guys to bring up because very similar, not necessarily as players, but um, their work ethic, as good as they were, they worked out every day and. the uh, I know LeBron did, and I know Melo did because he played for me. And um, Melo came in, in summer. He was the only basketball player here um, mm. before he enrolled at Oak Hill. And he came in the summer to go to summer classes. And I worked him out every day in the weight room, just he and I, and in the gym, just just the two of us. And so I got a good – got to know him really well. He got to know me. We had a great relationship. And I know how hard he worked. He's still doing it. I I follow him on social media, and I mean he's getting he's pushing 38, 40 years of age, and that guy works out every single day, and yeah. uh, still. that allows him to be as good as he is because he keeps his body in shape, uh, you know, and he's always working out. And uh, you know, I I see him in 
I've been to New York and been, to, he has a gym in New York and uh, it's not his, it was his, but now he closed that up. And now he's with another guy, but I don't care when you went up there, he was working out. And uh, I took my team and watched him work out once. I said, you need to watch this guy work out. And they're like, Carmelo does this. I'm like, yeah, he's in the NBA for all these years, making all this money and he still works out. That's what he does. And uh, that's what LeBron does. That's why LeBron's as good as he is. You can't tell he's lost it a step. I've noticed it mellow the last few years, but you can't tell it with LeBron. I mean, he's still top of his game and he's, I think he's like 38 years old or something. And uh, so it was when, when we played those guys, we played them three times. When I played him when I had Carmelo, it was, uh, you know, the game was good, but just watching those guys, I remember Carmelo was, as soon as we landed, got to the hotel, we're both in the same hotel and uh, promoted, put us up in the same hotel. And I, I go to look for Melo. He's not in his room. He's in LeBron's room. And then I go to, I go to Melo's room. I tell him, you got to go to your room, Melo. And he goes, it's about 8 o'clock in the night before the game. I go in Carmelo's room, and LeBron's in his room. Because so, they all, I mean, they, they kind of knew each other from summer circuit. and yeah. But they also knew they had a lot in common as far as work ethic. And they were ranked one and two in the country. I mean, Melo was a senior. LeBron was a junior, um, but they were both, you know, rated as the top player. And, I mean, that was a great game, and I just enjoyed coaching that game and watching those two guys go at it. Yeah, so you're saying that, you know, there's – because you, you've you coached a lot of guys with similar, you know, talents, builds, yes. athleticism. You're saying that the main divider is that work ethic piece. How yep. hard are you willing to, you know, commit to the game? Yep. Their character helps. Uh, Obviously, um, their work ethic is probably the most important. I mean, they're just <clears throat> they're, they're team guys. Both of them were. Mello only averaged Mello averaged twenty one point seven here at Oak Hill his senior year. He averaged twenty two point seven at Syracuse his freshman year. Yeah. And now he averaged more in college than he did here um, because he evolved, but he also played more minutes, obviously. You know, when he was here, we were really good. He probably played 20, 23, four minutes a game. Uh, in college, he's playing 35 probably. And, uh, of course, he won a national championship his freshman year. But, um, you know, those guys got to the level they got to in the NBA. And because of their character and, their, and the way they work. Uh, and they're also team players. You know, their team teammates are important to them. But – even for you, like as a coach, right, there's there's a lot of coaches around the country that's coached at a, other, you know, top notch high school programs as well. What is the main separator maybe, maybe between you and another coach? Is it your work ethic? Is it your attention to detail and what you've put into the game as well? Yeah, I know some really good coaches that are at schools similar to mine. And uh, so I don't know that I work them any harder or that I work any harder than those guys do. But uh, uh, I think it's your players. I tried to take players. I mean, I've turned down some really good players, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I won't go into detail and give names, but because I didn't think they had the right character, uh, I've watched them work out. I watched their body language, uh, the way they didn't mesh with their teammates, those kind of things. So I tried to take the right players that would fit in at Oak Hill, and uh, you're going to miss on a guy or two. But uh, So if I had the right guys – and I worked them hard enough, I knew they'd be successful. We'd be successful. I try to sell them on 
flip-flop that. I try to sell them on. If the team does well, then they all do well as individuals. Right. They all, if we go undefeated, then everybody wins. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not like these college coaches come in and ask you what a guy's averaging. They don't ever ask you that. They watch him play. They watch what I, what I see when I watch a guy that I'm thinking about coming to Oak Hill. They're, they're looking at their body language and how they play together with their teammates and how hard they play and, you know, do they take possessions off? You know, how's their attitude? All those things are important. I, so I try to get the right guys. And uh, so maybe I got a, maybe I got the right team opposed to some of those other guys. But uh, I mean, it's tough the last four or five years. Uh, Mount Verde, IMG, these schools with all the facilities and all the money, yeah, it's tough. And because uh, they were getting, I mean, Mount Verde last year had five of the top 24 players in the country on one high school team. Yeah. You know, so it's, we, it's, there was years back when we had two or three McDonald's All Americans on our team. So it was the same way with, with our school back then. So it's been tough for the last few years, but um, there's so many schools now that, are doing what we did. I think we were kind of a trendsetter. You know, we're one of those. DeMatha was in the 70s and 80s where they traveled and and Oak Hill. Once we, once we had a really good year, my first year, we got invited everywhere. And it was all expenses paid. And so <clears throat> that kind of, you know, kids see that too and want to be on. They want to play at the highest level. And they want to travel and play the best teams. And I want to play against the best coaches. And so that's you know, that, that helped us too. And, uh, so it's, it's been, it was a fun ride. I can tell you that. Yeah. I mm. have, um, I have uh, two more questions as we start to wrap up here, but, um, you recently, um, retired. So what, you know, and you're, and you're regarded as one of the best coaches I say on any level, right. What, what, what went into the decision to retire, but also what did it mean to have so many players at your, um, retirement party yeah um i basically knew, told my wife last summer i think this will be my last year and i told the president of school that so i just felt i'm 66 i'll be 67 on september 7th so mm -hmm. a couple of days Happy birthday. so i knew i'd be I'm, a, I'm 66 you know i hobble around sometimes i got a few health issues like most people my age and uh I have grandsons in Nashville, Stephanie, my daughter. Um, so they're five and seven, two boys and they're I want to be around them while they're young and I want to be around my family more and just felt like it was the right time. So I didn't tell anybody else till I announced it in February, mm -hmm. but uh, I had my mind made up last year. And then, yeah, to go to my retirement party, my family kind of set it all up. I don't know what they thought, but they thought that they could keep it a secret. There's no way. Yeah. I had two or three players call me and just say, hey, how you doing, coach? Fine. And I said, I haven't seen you forever. And, of course, they both – I had two guys in one day. They both said, well, I'll see you in June at your party. I don't know what party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what part are we talking about? And uh, so they said, you got a retirement party. I go, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want them to think they let the cat out of the bag. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> I knew basically that we – I didn't know who was going to show up, though. She kept yeah. that a secret. So – um, there was guys there I didn't think would be there and there were guys that weren't there that I thought would be there, but I never expected, there was like 80 players. Yeah. Uh, of course I had my, almost all my assistant coaches through the years were there. Um, board members from Oak Hill, administrators, um, 
they were all there too. So they, I don't, I think there was close to 200 people wow. and which I was expecting a little, you know, not much, but right. they had rented out of actually rented the place out where Dwayne Wade had his retirement uh, uh, party. Yeah. My party's a little different than his, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> we had we had a great time, a fellowship, and it was fun to see those guys all hanging with the guys when they were there. I noticed <clears throat> there was more guys there from the 80s and 90s than from the 2000s, and I realized it's changed a little bit. You know, the players have changed a little bit. Right. Um, those guys back then were so close and loyal and then there was probably 50 to 30 of the 80 players 50 were from the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. and then uh you get you get the last four or five years you don't see many of them and don't hear from a lot of them unless i call them uh, they just changed the players have changed and uh that part i i kind of felt that too when i was thinking about retirement it just doesn't feel the same yeah you, know, you don't have the same relationship as you had with all of them, you do with some of them, but not all of them. And uh, so <clears throat> it's, it was a great night. Uh, it's great to see everybody. And um, I had, I had kept a lot of t-shirts and things through the years, probably had a thousand t-shirts. I brought those down there to get rid of them out of my garage and, t and Nike gave bags and so forth problem was we didn't have anybody in the room we just told them to go in there and get what you wanted yeah <laughs> and we told them we told them two or three items yeah i know how that goes 20 minutes in it was empty <laughs> i felt so bad some of these players got to go coach i thought we got a t-shirt or something i'm like so i apologize to call these yeah. guys would take 15 t-shirts you know and but i which i look at it two different ways i'm glad they want them you know right i'm glad they think that much of oak hill that but I, I wish they'd have been a little unselfish, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great night. And, uh, you know, it was really fun. <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome. So as we circle back around my last question for you, you know, I started off the, the podcast with the question of who is Steve Smith and what do you want to be known for? And this, you know, this podcast is between the game and life. What are some of the biggest life lessons that you've tried to impart on your players, or maybe you've taken away from sports, even as a person, um, and kind of the legacy of that. Um, yeah. I mean, sports, sports teaches so many lessons and, uh, you know, for the players, it's, I, mean, I could list 20, 20 different things, but I'm trust and you know, yeah, I think that's important. They learn that teamwork, obviously, um, integrity, commitment, persistence, um, accountability, patience, um, respect for sure. And, you know, you learn a lot about being a leader. I try to get each guy to be a leader. Obviously, some are more vocal than others. Some are quiet leaders. But uh, I tell them in life, you know, you're going to have a job if you, when you're done playing basketball. And you need some leadership skills uh, to keep those jobs. And because uh, some of them will be in leadership roles just because of who they are right, right off the get-go. And uh, when they, they'll get into business or whatever, or they're open to business. I've had several guys start their own business and uh, they got to be in charge. You know, they're basically like a head coach, but I think all those things I mentioned are things that are important. You know, is one more important than others? I'm not sure. Accountability. I always talked about my, to my players about being accountable um, to themselves and to their team. 
And uh, the first team meeting, I always, I think the last 20 years, I started out by telling them, um, you know, I want you guys, each of you, to be the teammate that you want, you know, be a teammate that you want to play with and, and want others to play with you. And some guys are, some guys aren't. You know, I want them, don't let your teammates down. Don't do anything, you know, to let your teammates down. Don't do anything that would make us not be as successful as we want to be. And, you know, that's that's all the individuals. They're all individuals, but we're trying to make them into a team. And hopefully they'll learn a lot of those qualities by being on a team and especially, you know, kill. I mean, we'd start practice and, you know, I'd always have a thought for them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it usually wasn't basketball, obviously, but um, just something along the lines of the things I'd mentioned. Uh, and I'd give a little more emphasis to some than the others, but I just want them to know uh, it's not just bouncing the ball and scoring 20 points a game that, yeah. uh, you know, what you learn on, from being on a team is way more important. Um, and so those are things I always, you know, mentioned to my team and uh, emphasized to my team. Yeah. I love that coach. Well, <clears throat> the great coach, Steve Smith, Oak Hill Academy, happily retired. Uh, I just want to say, Thank you for your time, sir. Um, are you um, hitting the uh, links anytime soon? Yeah, I've been under the weather the last couple of months. I haven't played as much, and I have shoulder problems. And you got to have, yeah. you got to be able to swing a club. And uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna play more. And I think starting this week than I have earlier. Uh, I told people I retired, you know, to be with my grandkids and my family and play some golf and not to be sick and hurt. <laughs> so exactly. But so it's probably a good time for me to retire because I got a few physical things going on, but once I get those worked out, I'm going to play a lot of golf. Yeah. Stuart's coming down tomorrow. Nice. Um, nice. We're going to celebrate uh, our birthdays and I'm going to try to play golf with him on Wednesday and he's bringing his wife. So the, my wife, they're real close and the four of us are going to go to the, we're going to play a little scramble with our wives. Oh, nice. Yeah, that should be <laughs> yep. fun. That should be fun. Well, like I said, happy – Um, I appreciate your time. Happy yep. birthday to you and Stu. And, yes, this is Between the Game and Life. Thanks, Coach. Thank you.